As we design our life, it's not a pie chart where I commit 30% of me to this and 15%. It's always this ebb and flow, like an ocean and a tide. And so at times I do have to give more to my work or I give a little more in my marriage and I give more in these different places and I can still be rooted in me. And so in part, Mm -hmm. when I show up authentically in all of the places that I do show up, and also do I have a space that is for me? And so when we talk about burnout, in a lot of experiential and psychodrama work, we talk about role fatigue. And role fatigue and burnout to me are one and the same. And so am I getting fatigued in just the roles that I'm in so I can create a space, which often happens, even as you just said, in these programs where I'm just me for me. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, a show from the humans at OnSite. If you're new to this space and just beginning this journey, we hope these episodes are an encouragement, a resource, and an introduction to a new way of being. And if you're well into your journey and perhaps even made a pit stop at OnSite's Living Centered program or one of our other experiences, we hope these episodes are a nudge back towards the depth, connection, and authenticity you found. In this season, we sat down with a dozen of our favorite experts and emotional health sojourners to dig into the topics that are top of mind for all of us. Transition, relationships, trauma, just to name a few. Part practical resource and part honest storytelling that will have you silently nodding along, me too. This podcast was curated with you in mind. So with that, let's dive in. Hey friends, I am so excited for this week's episode. I know it's something that I so deeply needed and I just so benefited from this check-in. This week we are joined by one of our clinical supervisors, Ryan Snodgrass-Block, and she just brought so much wisdom and compassion and gentleness around the topic of burnout. I know this is something that I super relate to, Mackenzie. I know you as well. And as people that are just really passionate about what they do, it can be easy to get lost and and lose ourselves a little bit to a role or a passion project, whether that be at work or in our relational dynamics. And so this was such a good episode for me to really find hope for how to find a healthy new way forward. Yeah, every conversation I have with Ryan, I just leave feeling lighter. I feel like there is this invitation into wholeness and into presence. And it happens simply because of who she is. She just exudes that. Um, And she was so compassionate in the way that she approached this topic, but also brought a lot of clinical expertise to it and helped us explore that the burnout that we're feeling doesn't have necessarily to do with our job, but more our relationship to it. And furthermore, it doesn't have so much to do with the role that's making us feel burnout but our relationship to it. And so it was a challenge and an invitation. And I just, I know you're all going to love it. So let's hop in with Ryan. Ryan, transparently, I told Mackenzie, this is a funny episode for us to talk about because I feel really burnt out. So I will be probably honest and vulnerable in this conversation. But it's just, I'm, you know, grateful that we get to talk about it. Yeah, Yeah. it's important. It really is. And it's like something that we talk about all the time, but we talk around it. Mm -hmm. And we have these little ideas of how to address it, but not really the core of it. So I'm so excited to chat about it. And that's great timing. I'd be curious, Ryan, like how you define burnout. I feel like burnout we use so 
like conversationally. And it, and it is, it's something most of us experience at least one point in our lives, probably several points. But what does it mean? Is it, I'm just tired? Is it, I'm worn thin? Is it, I'm, what is burnout in your mind? Can you kind of give us some parameters for the conversation? So I would say that we often first think of burnout in the way that it presents. So I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. I'm feeling flooded or exhausted in a way that sleep doesn't cure, et cetera, et cetera. How I would define what burnout truly is, is an over-identification with one thing or one role at the expense of everything else. Mm. Well, that's really good. You mentioned like one role. And so I think a lot of times I think about burnout directly in proportion to my job. This is technically how the World Health Organization defines it. And it's characterized by three dimensions, feeling of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job or cynicism related to one's job and reduced professional efficacy. So it's so much of this conversation is surrounded around our job. And, but I love how you broadened it to say like one role where we could be burnt out in other areas of our lives. Will you say more about that? Completely. So Well, a couple things. It is very much talked about with our work. And the reason I say it's an over-identifying is that work will be what it is. There are things that we can change and um, ways that culture around work can shift. And what we first change is our relationship to work. And so without Mm. having to change all that's there, is my relationship with that job or what is happening with that job something that needs to change. And then also to say that we can't get burnt out in other areas would be really deceiving. I get mom burnout. I get Mm -hmm. listener burnout, helper burnout. There are times when it's just whatever it is that I am so invested in is beginning to overwhelm me in a way that takes away from how I can show up for myself and the other roles that I embody in my life. I'd love, um, I'm curious on the kind of correlation between burnout and codependency. Um, I, this is kind of a random thought, but I, I'm someone that I've kind of struggled with workaholism my whole life and I'm very comfortable overworking and very comfortable burning out. Like, because we often wear busyness as a badge of honor and high performance as a badge of honor. And it's like a, a role I was pretty good at and was okay taking on um, so much so that I, I would lose myself in this role or this identity in a job. And yeah, I wonder if you just see overlap or if you think there is overlap in that, because for someone like me, I think up until a couple of years ago, and I was kind of forced to not burn out, really stepping into a job at onsite because people would call me out on it because they're like, no, like we don't support this habit here. We don't want to see your health sacrificed for the sake of the job. It felt very exposing to me because I was like, oh no, but that's like where I kind of found comfort because it was familiar. And so as someone who also is like a recovering codependent, I think I kind of liked burnout because it was at least familiar when I all of a sudden wasn't burnt out when I wasn't losing myself in a job I was like well shit like what am I good at like what is my purpose what do I value how do I take care of myself so I wonder if you see that correlation between codependency and burnout and kind of what ties the two together yeah that's such a good point when we talk about especially in the living centered program when we talk about relationships I always like to think of it as we are in relationship to so many things, so many people, including we are in relationship to our work. 
And so if codependency is a relational way of showing up to try to stay connected, then it can show up in any of the things that we are connected to. It can show up in being codependent with work. There's also so many um, expectations and messages around what is um, ideal in our relationship with work. We're really praised for overworking. Many of us are kind of trained to be perfectionists. And we talk about imposter syndrome and perfectionism and how to balance all of these different hats and things that are going on in a way that that is the standard that's expected of us. And so labeling it as codependency, I think there are definitely ways that it shows up. I would also be very curious about the messaging people got around who they're supposed to be and around their performance or productivity that then also looks like an air of codependency with their work. Hmm. Totally. Yeah. One of my favorite things about the Living Center program is that you are not allowed to talk about what you do. That's like kind of one Mm -hmm. of our rules. Um, And just that idea and that challenge and that requirement going into a Living Centered experience for me was really freeing. Not that I, one, I was coming in as an onsite employee. So that was really great. But I think it just kind of shifted the whole dynamic of relationships I had with other people where I wasn't looking and that crutch wasn't there for me to have for myself, but also to, can I connect with this person? Are we in similar, you know, fields? And it just really moving from being a human doing to being a human being, Mm -hmm. I think is so important. So true. And something that I share with programs each week, I went through the Living Center program years before I worked at OnSite. And so I always share that I'm someone who worked really hard for letters after my name and the titles and would very quickly let you know what I was doing because to me that equated to my worth and my value was how much I was serving another person. And so letting go of that and just being Ryan was actually really uncomfortable, Mm. but became very liberating. And when I left the Living Center program and turned on that cell phone that I was so reluctant to hand over, I saw thousands of emails and hundreds of missed calls. And I thought, oh, I have really been over available in this relationship and how that must be taking away from what I can offer in the other relationships in my life. And so the relationship I have with my job needs to change. It's not my job needs to change. It's the way I relate to it. And so I really needed to make some shifts as I left, really seeing now who I am, that's just one part of me. But if I'm doing too much in that relationship, I automatically have less to offer in the other arenas of my life. Yeah. I'd love to dive into that a little bit more. I think that's a really important mindset shift because I think most people, myself included in seasons, have been like, well, I'm burnt out, so I have to change X, which is usually job or the circumstance. Yeah. And it, we don't usually take up the ownership and the agency to say like, but yeah, maybe sometimes the circumstances do need to change because we formed enough of a pattern or whatever. But a lot of times it is, yeah, like you said, I need to change my relationship with it. So how can you help us guide through, like maybe if people are in that space and they're thinking like, 
how do I actually do that? Because this is all I know how to do with this job. Like the only thing I know how to do is start a new one or whether it's not a job, but maybe it's a relationship or a role they're playing. So they think I only have to leave so I can do it differently next time. But then usually we find ourselves in the same patterns over and over and over because we're not really fixing our relationship with it. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to someone that maybe is kind of waking up to that? Like, okay, well, I need to change my relationship with it. But how do you do that when you're still in the same one? How do you take ownership and agency over that? Completely. Such a good question. So a lot of the work that I see being done, and even this week, we have folks who come in that say, there is something within me that needs to be fixed, or there is this part of me that's broken. And I offer the invitation that maybe this work is finding the many parts of us that were broken to begin with. But that sense of responsibility has made us think that they were. And so if I just get curious about myself and all of my work starting with how I'm in relationship with me, maybe the way that I view my work or my relationship shifts a little because I'm not viewing Mm. it from this place of I'm owning responsibility and I'm the one that's broken and I have to change, change, change. That maybe there's a clear lens that I can see it through as I show up for myself wholly and compassionately. And there may be very unhealthy work environments or I don't love the word toxic when it involves people because I shy away from saying that humans are toxic. However, that's a phrase that folks use. So there are real situations that we want to change in our life. And sometimes we're reacting to our discomfort and changing things that don't need to change. We just need to recalibrate them. And Hmm. I remember when I left my program and was thinking, ooh, I really need to change my relationship to my work. And I was the director at the time. And I thought, (laughs) I I really need to start passing the baton. And then the first thought came up of there's no one to pass it to, or there's no one who Hmm. would hold it the same. So that old message Mm -hmm. of if someone's got to do it, it has to be me and I can't really trust in others. If I do, then I'll be looked at as not doing my job. So that whole rhetoric came right back up. Right. And so sometimes that hesitancy to shift our relationship is that the messaging we're carrying is still so ingrained in it has to be me. It has to be done my way. I can't entrust in others. And there are times that that may be true. And times that um, maybe that voice has a little too much weight. So if I can just slow down and still be curious, where for me, when I got curious, if I weren't to, if I were not doing this, who would do it? And the answer is no one. Well, then there needs to be someone because right, I right. will not always be there, whether sickness, vacation, anything else. I will not always be there to do it. And so I can't be the whole solution all the time, but I've also helped create that system. We have to look at how did I help design this dynamic to begin with? Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I wanted to quickly interrupt this interview to share a short story with you. A few years ago, I was listening to an onsite alum share their story and something clicked inside of me. I realized that while nothing was wrong in my life, I actually began to wonder if there was more I was missing. What if the overwhelming feeling of anxiety and stress that I had just accepted as my normal didn't have to be a part of my life? What if my relationships didn't drain me and I could actually set the boundaries to create the type of relationships I wanted to exist in? 
what if I could interrupt the narratives that I had just accepted as fact? Shortly after, I attended Onsite's Living Center program, and I started on my own journey of more. More peace, more clarity, more fun, more wholeness. I want to invite you to explore that more. There's nothing wrong with you. But what if there's more? If you've been considering an on-site program for a while, or if this is the very first time, I invite you to dare to consider the possibility that the more you're seeking is actually something we all deserve. You can explore our offerings at experienceonsite.com or connect with one of our incredible admissions team members at 1-800-341-7432. They'd love to have a confidential call with you and connect you to the right resource for you. So much of this conversation around burnout and our relationship to the dynamics that are actually hurting us was pretty challenging. I felt the need to take a deep breath after hearing Ryan talk about shifting these relationships that we actually helped design. I wanted her to help us continue exploring how we can disengage the parts of our identity that feel so wrapped up in these things that maybe we are not even noticing it. How do we begin to do the internal work required? Because as the saying goes, wherever you go, there you are. At some point, if we're repeating patterns and living the same cycles over and over again, we have to take a closer look at ourselves and the systems we've created. When I think of how to disentangle it, I first think we have to witness what the entanglement is that we're carrying. And so Mm, if we focus as who does on work being the the sole source of burnout, which we know to not be true. But if we think about work, can I really look at what is my relationship to work? There are parts that are the organization's culture and dynamics and how the state of the world impacts it, et cetera, et cetera. And what is my relationship to it? What are the messages that I take with me about what work represents? Where if I am suddenly underemployed, unemployed, if my role title changes, does that suddenly um, make my worth or value debatable? Does Mm. the way that I tell someone what I do for a living, to me, um, change the way I feel people view me? Are there messages around money scripts or success? All of that that we're carrying, can I just be a witness to it and then begin to sort out um, through doing my work in places like Living Centered, through journaling, through meditation, um, getting really quiet because in the quiet spaces, we have opportunities for choice and peaceful moments. We have strength and can gather strength to continue forward. And so as I get quiet and find moments in myself of quiet and peace, that committee that sounds like my voice but isn't my own mm, might sh- that's good and that true wisdom we all have might come up and actually say oof um it's pretty unrealistic that you would be the only person on this whole big planet that can do this yeah right it's a good ego check i mean i feel like we all like to feel important you know mm-hmm. and but the the reality and the freedom that comes on the other side of the truth of like mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Other people can step in and other people can hold and there is trust in other people um, and other systems and the the reality of that walked out. I, I was just trying to think through like a sustained period of time in my life when I didn't feel burnt out as someone who 
is more comfortable with workaholism. And I think the first time I felt that way sustainedly was at my Living Centered program. And I think it was because I wasn't talking about it because I couldn't hide behind the, all the roles I played and the decisions I made and I couldn't, you know, and so I was, that's why like so often we hear from guests, like, I mean, there's lots of reasons why you're untangling a lot of trauma, but it's why I had the best sleep of my life when I was out there. I had the most rest. I felt the most balanced. I felt like I had less headaches, like things that we get symptoms of this burnout. And it gives me hope that like we can implement those practices in our daily lives like that doesn't just exist on campus and it's it's beautiful that we get to curate this environment for people that they can experience it for themselves but something that I love about all of our programs and our living center program in, in particular is like it gives people a chance to practice new behaviors and new rhythms and so like that's therefore then my responsibility when I leave something like a program like that to carry that on and it and it's not gonna be easy all the time and there are like, I do have to have a job. I do have to talk about what I do. I, I do have to make decisions, but I can still kind of carry the same responsibility of allowing what room it takes up in my life um, mm-hmm. and how it's going to impact me as I show up in all the other areas that I get to show up and how to make that more fair. I don't think, I don't think balance is a great word because I don't think there is balance because we're, we're woven in and these tapestries of all the things that make us who we are and what we do. But to be more authentically me in all the spaces, not just the workspace or whatever Mm. relational space that you're filling the most in burnout. As we're talking, I'm picturing like this is not as we design our life. It's not a pie chart where I commit 30 percent to this and 15 percent. It's it's always this ebb and flow like an ocean and a tide. And so at times I do have to give more to my work or I give a little more in my marriage and I give more in these different places and I can still be rooted in me. And so in part, when I show up authentically in all of the places that I do show up and also do I have a space that is for me and me. And so Mm. when we talk about burnout uh, in a lot of experiential and psychodrama work, we talk about role fatigue. And role fatigue mm. and burnout to me are one and the same. And so am I getting fatigued in just the roles that I'm in so I can create a space, which often happens, even as you just said, in these programs where I'm just me for me. And yeah. in that space, I might find things that I really want to cultivate at home. There are so many times when it's the first time someone had three square meals or they actually had fun in a while, or am I taking time? I'm in the midst of the many seasons of my life, knowing that there will be times I'm busy or overwhelmed and stressed. And I don't want to avoid that because it's the human experience. But in the midst of that, am I also prioritizing even small moments that reconnect Mm. me to myself so that I can be authentic and I can show up intentionally in all of the places that I'm in versus this, um, this tendency to not notice that we are burning out until we're real burnt out. (laughs) We want to see the process and intervene versus um, crisis intervention on our own work-life balance, so to speak, or our own partner-life balance, or however we want to call it. Yeah, that's really good. When we reached this point of the conversation, I was curious about the role of passion in regards to work in particular. Oftentimes, I think we can burn out on a job or a role when we cloak it with mission-driven or purpose-filled work. 
I know it can be easy to neglect our own well-being when we're motivated by passion and purpose. What I know of the three of us on this call is that we're people who engage in work that we're passionate about. I feel like in every job interview I've ever been in, I'm like, I'm a mission-driven employee. Um, And I really do... I seek out to work at organizations that I believe in the mission. I feel like I can make impactful work. And so I wonder, how do we bring that into this conversation and say, hey, this is important that I, this is a driving factor in the work that I pursue or the life that I build or whatever, but is passion enough? I I think I've read that like burnout is a result of a lack of connections to your purpose and a plan in the workplace. But I really feel like I have a connection to my purpose and might still feel burnt out. I might have connection to my purpose as a mother and still feel burnt out. And how to like pay attention to those signs. Like you just said, like we don't usually do it until we're like totally burnt out, not in the process. But I think when you're passionate, in my experience, when I'm really passionate about something, I do it for the sake of that, or I think I am. And so I go hard. I ignore my boundaries. I push past what would have been healthy or I forsake relationships that are healthy because I'm like, I love what I'm trying to do and I'm passionate about what I'm trying to do. But at what cost? Because then... I don't end up doing it well. I'm not like, and then I'm bitter or then I'm angry or whatever. And so like, how do you protect passion while also like letting, how do you, I guess, be passionate about something without it being the only thing? Yeah. Yeah. And really care about what you do while still, and whether that's in a job or like in another role or yeah, whatever, how do you, I guess, what's the, invitation there to like not ignore that passion to integrate that passion while not losing yourself in the process. I think so much of this is a really personal process and getting to know ourselves, but I love that it's interwoven into passion and purpose because I do find immense passion and immense purpose in what I do. And I also know my tendency is to give, give, give all day. And by the time I get home, I have breadcrumbs for my family. And so I really have to be mindful because also if I have breadcrumbs for them, then I get absolutely nothing for me. And over time, what I'm so passionate about and I find purpose in may breed disconnection in other places that are also purposeful. And then I may build resentment because I don't feel like I have any moments for me. And so we might find ourselves getting into this initially really beautiful process that then becomes all consuming. And so it, for me, is this curiosity for us of what am I passionate about? What are the many things, if there are more than one, that I feel gives life purpose? And how can I really invest myself in that, but not in a way that takes away from other things that can drive purpose as well? Because when I think about purpose, which I know Mackenzie, you and I have just even had a chat about this. If our sole purpose is one thing and we lose that one thing, then life can get pretty grim. And so I can find a lot of purpose in helping people. I also find purpose in being a mom. I find purpose in, I like to believe, I can't say I'm perfect with it, But I like to believe that there's purpose in just existing as a human 
with other humans. And what recent years have shown us is nothing is guaranteed, nor is life. And so if, if one thing that we find purpose in leaves, hopefully we have other areas of our life that still make it worth living. So if we look at the life that we've created or want to create, what are all the things that make it meaningful? And can I can I be passionate in all of those? And sometimes give a little more here and a little more there, um, knowing that they all refill me and that that work starts with myself. I remember listening to one of the former podcasts when um, Stephanie was on here and she talked about doing our work so that, so that I showed up as as a better mom so that I showed up as um, a better employee or manager or whatever. And that language always sticks with me because I will bypass me and tend to everyone and everything else before me. But tending to me, I can do that so that (laughs) then I can show up even better for all of the other things in my life. I was writing something recently and just about motherhood and my relationship with my daughter. And what, what commonly comes up to me is that I need to love me better in order to love her well. That's good. And so in order to really show up well as a mother for her and for my son, I have to take care of me better. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if I'm really passionate about what I do for a living and I am, I really need to take care of me to help take care of the people who come through our program. Yeah, Ryan, I really resonate with a lot of that. Um, And it gives me hope that we can do that healthily. I think so often we live in a world where people either live to work or they work to live. And we think Mm -hmm. like, okay, if I can't like really invest in what I'm doing or if if that's unhealthy, I swing so far that way, then I'm just gonna, you know, like, punch my time card, show up to work and like just get paid and it's great. And I move on and I can have my life on the side. But I think to have like a fully balanced life, like it can be healthy to integrate both, Mm -hmm. to really love what you do, really love the roles you get to play in your family and your community, um, but have them integrate into who you are so you can do all of them better. I know when I am at the healthiest in my partnership, I'm showing better up at work. I know when I'm healthiest at work, I'm actually a more productive friend. Like, so we are responsible for, and we're not going to be 100% all the time in all of our areas, but we are responsible for like noticing like, oh, which part of me is feeling like this is really draining? Which part of me is feeling really starting to get burnt out? So then I can attend to that because then it doesn't have to, I hope that it then doesn't have to take over all the parts. When we can notice it before we're at like ground zero, how can we say like, oh, I'm noticing these lights going on in the engine of my work life. Like how can I pay attention to that and fix I'll fix that, but attune to it so I can care for it so that I can go on and keep living well in all the parts of my life before it's not just burnout or work, then it's burnout in all of life, you know? Completely. As you said, it's so interwoven where all of these roles, we show up in all of them based on our experiences in the rest of our life. What I noticed for me is I can get compassion fatigue, which is my version of burnout. Mm-hmm. Is I'm just giving and in compassion and then I get real bitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I get a little like, let's keep it going. You know, the old stuff that I've worked through, I'm like, okay, next, next. <laughs> totally. And I tend to do that with the people that I love the most. 
And so I noticed for me that when I'm feeling my version of burnout, it's actually impacting the ones who at the end of the day I care for the most. Yeah. Um, And so what I know I need is a moment of complete quiet, of not being needed, not being asked um, to just really get quiet with me. And in those moments, I can recharge and be more intentional as I move through. And I also have to really communicate with people around me what I have in this moment to offer. Yeah. I remember recently I had a friend ask me for a favor and I said, depending what it is, I'll let you know if I can do it. And that was literally the first That's time. That's such a good answer. I've never said that before. And everything in me was like, just say yes. And the truth was I was feeling burnt out. I yeah. have two yeah. kids. They've been sick. My husband was working out of town. I'm working. I'm also sole parenting at the moment. I'm just depleted and I want to be in a space that's quiet. And so I want to be able to help. And the truth is, if I say yes before knowing if I can really help, I'm possibly not actually being helpful. Yeah. Um, Emotions of it. So a way for me to kind of um, override my inclination to just do, do, do is to play with my compassionate heart and say, if I if I really am trying to be compassionate, then the best way that I can serve another person is to yeah. truthfully assess what I have to offer right now and what I need. Mm, that's mm. good. I watched a TV show last night and I laughed out loud literally because one of the characters asked, um, like, can I ask you a question? And the woman responded like, sure, I'm not sure if I'll answer. And I was like, love that. Like you get to set the boundaries for what you can and can't do. And and that's really helpful for whoever you're interacting with to know, uh, yeah, where where you can step in and what you can do to support. I just pulled up in this um, post by Whitney Goodman, who's a therapist that I love to follow online, um, sit with wit, but she's posted this and we've reposted it, but like awards people try to win that actually don't exist. And it's like, never puts themselves first, the most stressed, the worried more than anyone because they care, the slept the least, the stayed on the weird diet for the longest, the sacrifice their whole life for others. Like all these things that we're trying to do, I think it's great that we can acknowledge like we burn out, yeah, all these other places because we often do care for people. We want to care for them, but unless if we're caring for ourselves and noticing when our lights go on that we are, we don't have a lot to give. Like none of these things are actually going to help people. And in that situation and all the awards that I'm trying to win that no one's actually competing for or giving me a ribbon for, it's not off. It's not always for the other person. It's for me to say like, I'm so great. Or like I, you know, it's my insecurity of not being able to just say I am worthy because I exist yeah. In this conversation, Ryan, I was thinking about something that you shared in our last interview together and you, and I've taken it to heart and thought of it several times. So that's why it came up. You said a practice you were trying to do was to do something for yourself for the first thing in the morning. So that's mm-hmm. like you start your day by having taken care of yourself. And I just love that. And I wondered, are you continuing to do that now that you have two children? And what are some of like the small ways that we can implement that? to make sure like, hey, we start our day by caring and tending to ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for remembering that. So that wise wisdom was given to me back in graduate school from a professor who saw me doing all the things all at once and getting very burnt out. (laughs) Here's maybe an idea. And it, it really changed a lot for me because I will 
get so excited from, as you said, Hannah, like a place of passion and excitement and purpose and just want to do. And I really need to first prioritize me. So there are times that I I don't do it because I wake up at 4 a.m. with a baby who doesn't want to sleep or yeah. things that happen. And I notice the consequence when I don't do it, where I, I have a little more... Um, like prickliness to me or my mind, I'm just a little grumpier. I'm not as open hearted. I find myself not as present with the small moments as I pride myself to be. So I notice the ripples if I don't do a small thing for me. And that's always seeing the warning signs of it, which first for me are just internal when I have that like internal grimace of like, oh, yeah. (laughs) It's the first sign of, oh, I probably need to do something for me right now. And I'll try to get back on track, a practice, not a perfection. So that first thing in the morning for me can look like a lot of things. Most of the time it is, I listen to a podcast. Love that we're on one right now. Um, Morning on the way into work. That teaches me something just fascinating and whimsical about the humanity of the world. I'll breakfast every morning. I have coffee with the most delicious creamer. It's mostly creamer with a dash of coffee. Like I'll do (laughs) just ever so small that is enjoyable for me and really try to say to myself this is for me Mm. like I'm not just drinking coffee because I need to energize in Russian like I'm drinking this coffee because I enjoy the taste of it I get to listen to my podcast right now which is an enjoyable moment alone almost like reading a good book um drive anywhere I try to see something that I've never seen before and I really look out for it so I try to create little moments of opportunity for myself, but make sure I name them to me that I get to mm-hmm. do that. I'm doing it for me um, versus if I feel like I'm just doing it going through the motions, it doesn't have as much of a an intentional impact on me. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. What I took out of that is two things. One, there's so much power in noticing. We had a friend on the podcast, Nadine Kenny Johnston, who talked a lot about noticing and it just gives us ownership over those things. And mm-hmm. um, like you noticing like this coffee is for me. I'm noticing something on my drive. I'm paying attention to the to the areas that I'm tending to myself. And then the other thing I took away is that like those are all simple and like can be done. I think mm-hmm. so often when we get to a point of burnout or when we're on our way out of burnout, uh, we think like it has to be like a break the glass moment to find mm-hmm. rest or respite. We think like I have to go on a vacation or I just yeah. need X, Y, Z to fix this. And I think while those things can be nice, we often come back from those things feeling the exact same way because we haven't yeah. really tended to our soul. We haven't really cared for ourselves um, and we haven't changed any patterns. And so I think the like, for me, what I what I hear from you and what I believe would probably be a healthy practice for people that are maybe feeling sort of burnt out is like, and we talk about this at Onsite, what are the small things that you mm-hmm. can change mm-hmm. and have power over that ultimately lead to giant impact? And so that that is like, there's not like a cure-all for burnout. There's not the, if you do this, or if you buy this, or if you change this entirely that will fix it but it's like how are we putting ourselves and our care first so we can therefore care for others care for our job care for the planet yeah we often think of this this big 
weighted experience of burnout needs a big response. And there's the part in just noticing what is happening for me, being a witness to what is my relationship with this job or this role, and then creating small moments of reprieve. I said it earlier, and Mackenzie and I were talking about this at, at an event recently, but it's the small moments, as they say, of quiet that we find choice and in the small moments of peace we gather strength. And so if I can have just these small moments of peace and of quiet, then there's so much strength that is reinvigorated and I have decisions and opportunities and I'm empowered to make choices moving forward. So it's not this big thing. It's the small intentional practice. Yeah. We've, um, we've said before, like awareness creates choice of just like, mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a problem until I can name it. Um, and I was looking at some of the statistics of like who in the workforce says they're burnout, like based on generations. Basically, it goes from like boomers all the way to Gen Zs. And Gen Zs are the most likely to say it. And I thought to myself, is it because they're actually more burnout? Are they more passion, like compassion fatigue, like we've been talking about it? Or do they just have language in a different way than we do? Um, and so I wonder... It just had me thinking about what we can do and we're able to name it and we're not just existing in it, accepting it as normal to say, oh no, I've been experiencing this and I can do something about it and then take action. Once you have awareness, you can take action. And so like, what are those small moments where we can quiet ourselves down enough to listen, to pay attention, to see the warning signs before we've reached complete burnout Mm -hmm. and just tend to ourselves. So I don't think that's a solid answer. I just think it's an invitation, it seems like. And I do think it's an invitation that you like have to answer because it's like we can name stuff and not do anything about it. And I feel like I've been in that in seasons and like sometimes I'm there right now. It's like I'm really burnt out. I'm really overwhelmed. But then I just sit in that. And I think that kind of goes back to like what I said in the beginning. Like I think that is something I was I've been kind of like bred to be more comfortable with like, and it is really uncomfortable, but it's known. It's like, I know how to function in this. And so being healthy is a harder choice sometimes, or like it's, it's, it's um, vulnerable, I guess, to think like, oh, without this, then what am I? So I think the awareness is such a specific, important step that we can't change unless if we can speak it, but we can speak it without change and it doesn't help us. And so like, how do we say it out loud and then thoughtfully move forward to say like, I want it to be different. And so here's what I'm going to do. Here's my responsibility in this. Here's how I'm going to invite other people into it. That stillness makes me uncomfortable. If I think about it, some of the things Ryan was saying, the thought of that feels more uncomfortable than being burnt out sometimes, not all the time, but if I'm truly being honest. Of course. And there's so many reasons for that, where even just if I'm carrying a lot, we have so many people come in who are like, viscerally, I've just been carrying a lot. And if I'm doing that, I'm also likely finding environments around me that mirror that same level of activation. And so if I'm carrying a lot and I try to find a moment of quiet, it feels incongruent and it feels uncomfortable. And then you add in the scripts around work and value along with our passion and our purpose, it gets really complicated. And so there are a couple things that came up for me when you two were talking. 
One being that there's, um, there's a lot of beautiful wisdom, which is why I love the group process shared intergenerationally, where there's a lot of wisdom coming from what we call the boomer generation of this, this drive and this perseverance. And there's also this really beautiful language and awareness with a younger generation that also has been exposed to a very different version of the world and is kind of shifting work culture that I think is is really powerful, that there's so much that can be shared between the two. And what also came up for me is I, I come back to, I'm a person who the line between caring and caretaking can be very thin. Mm-hmm. And I want to care for people well. And I noticed when I thought about that, I need to pass the baton to someone, but there isn't that person or what will they do with it? That by not allowing someone to try to take that baton, I'm actually disempowering people that I care for. And so Mm. especially as a leader, I find that if I'm doing too much, I'm disabling the people I'm trying Mm -hmm. to lead. And so I'm actually not caring for them well. I'm somewhat self-serving, but also like going against what I feel is purposeful about this work, which is the elevation of all of us. Mm -hmm. So for me, taking care of me and actually delegating things and maybe letting some things fall, allow other people to learn how to then pick it up and do it differently, where I know that's the way that I was able to learn and be empowered. So I really need to do that for other people too in order to call myself a carer. <laughs> mm, right. That's good, Ryan. I think that's another thing that is so interesting about going to a program like onsite is you are disconnected, not just from your phone, not just from the news, but also from your family and the roles that you play. And I think there is like a fear of like, well, what are they going to do? And then you come back and they were okay. You know, they all like survived. Yeah. people stepped up in different ways. Family helped out. Employees filled gaps. Mm-hmm. Like the world spins on. And I think that is a, like, there's beautiful safety in that. It can be, like, a humbling thing to accept. Like, the world spins on without me. But it's like, oh, good. The world spins on, and I can I can now step back into the world that's spinning on a more healthy version of me and contribute to it in a new and more effective way. As we were rounding out the conversation, I realized that we had yet to acknowledge the heaviness and burden that many of us are carrying today. Everywhere we look, we hear about how we're all burnt out, but it makes me feel like, of course, the world is burning. We're in turmoil and chaos, and we're constantly aware of the heaviness of it all. From war to political and economic instability, and still recovering from a global pandemic, then throw in the personal and intimate details of our own lives burning us out, it's hard to human today. I ask Ryan what her encouragement might be for us as we acknowledge this reality in light of this conversation. We didn't talk about it, but I'm so glad that you mentioned it because even I, I shared it this week, am carrying grief and fear. And um, we're all in our own way carrying a lot. And so if, if anyone is listening who's on the precipice of burnout or is just carrying a lot, then I would invite them in the picture of all of the people that they care for and things that they care about to make sure that their face is in that photo too and to do just something small for them because if everyone else deserves to be cared for it they do too 
And that first act of doing something for me, we talk about two degrees of change, will lend to the next one and the next one. And I can begin to look at what are all of the things in my life that matter to me, including my relationship with myself. And is there anything in it that needs to gently shift? Mm. That lands. Definitely lands. Such a thing that we all navigate and and an invitation that we all can do better because I think we all want to be better XYZ friends, Mm -hmm. partners, parents, employees, and we can't do that. And if we are spiraling in a burnout like space and we have, we have the tools, I guess we need. I think that's why I want people to know it's like, they do have what they need to not be stuck there. And it's okay. If you feel that way, it's okay. If it happens, it doesn't mean everything's wrong, change everything, Mm -hmm. but you have, we have, I have the tools and resources I need and you need to give ourselves what we need to find a healthier way forward. So well said. I'll say one last thing that came up as you you were saying that if I can, I would like to see burnout as um, the signal and invitation to compassionately turn inward. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, can I begin doing just one small thing for me that blends into the next and the next as I revisit this life that I have designed. It's a signal. It's a warning sign. Mm-hmm. Ah. Just like your car has lights. The light's not the problem. You know, yeah, and we want to gotta... have that light go on sooner and sooner so we're not all the way deep into burnout but we notice when that light is starting to fade and all the things for us personally that reignite it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, when I was in high school, I had um, a light on my dashboard that my dad was just like, we're not fixing this. It's not going to go away. And it bothered me so much that I put a sticky note over top of it because I didn't want to see it. And I feel like that's something that I do when I've got signals of burnout. I just like put mm-hmm. a sticky note over it. Like if I pretend it's not there, if I don't look at it, it can't mm-hmm. actually be there. But it's still impacting my car. It's still impacting me on the inside. So it's an invitation. Look yes. at the light. Get curious. Yeah, and the light is usually just letting you know. If you don't tend to this, something bad could happen. Yes, yeah, it's not happen. usually saying something bad is happening. It just says like, oh, you need you need to change your oil, Sam. Something could Great. happen. Oh. And if you don't change your oil, Sam, if you ignore that, your car will be damaged. And, <laughs> but it's not today. It's not Mm. next week, but it's soon. And so pay attention to it, care for it. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good picture of like, you can't cover it up, you know? You can't cover it up. It's still there. The light is there to warn you. The light, your wise body, it all has wisdom to help you. Thanks for listening to the Living Center podcast. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love for you to consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. It only takes a few seconds to navigate to the show in your app and select the stars to begin your rating. It helps more people find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks so much.